0: Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. Through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Therefore, why? Because he gives you the victory. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, always growing, always overflowing in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. You know your labor is not in vain because you know God gives you the victory. If you are on your own to get victory in this life, you think, well, is my living right and doing right and speaking right? Am I praying? Am I loving people and forgiving people? Does it even matter? Does it even make a difference? But because you know God gives you the victory, you know, everything you do for God produces. And it's not in vain. Now, as we've said in this series, just to do a brief review before we get into where we're going today, that when we look at this verse and another verse, it begins with thanks to God. Which means if we expect to walk in victory, we should start our day with thanksgiving. We should wake up every day and say, Father, we thank you for the victory. It's so, like, Pastor, you don't know how I felt when I wake up this morning. doesn't matter. If you really believe God's going to give you the victory, then one of the first things out of your mouth, maybe even before you had your coffee, is thank you for the victory. You might have even had a chance to brush your teeth, and I'm so glad we brush our teeth. Because our mask can only protect us from so much. We thank him for the victory. Gratitude has to be the lifestyle of the believer. Gratitude is a gateway to victory. One of the things when you study the children of Israel after they left Egypt, Paul says there are examples The King James says in samples. And when we look at example, you learn what to do and what not to do. You know, a wise person can learn from anybody. A wise person can even learn from a fool. You can just look at their life like, that is exactly what I don't want to do. And so, one of the things you see about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, you see some things to do, and you see some things not to do. And one of the things you learn not to do is the complaining that they did. Because they didn't just complain, it's like, oh, man, this is bad today. They complained and stopped moving. That word in Hebrew means they complained and came to a halt. So when God was trying to take them forward... They're whining and they complaining, stop their progress. Could it just be that your progress today is slow because of your whining? That your progress is slow because of your complaining? You say, well, I don't talk about it that much. Well, your Facebook posts and your tweets say otherwise. You know, too, for too long, there's been a whine in the church of God. When there should be a battle cry. So in your life, is there a whine or is the battle cry? Because too long in the church, we whine about politics and who's elected, who's not elected. And we forget that God is still on the throne. That maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we should stop trying to worship a Republican Jesus or a Democrat Jesus, just worship Jesus. What if we actually look to the Bible to define how we live, not to political parties who have their own agendas? And determine how we want well the media said this so i need to complain about it why do you have more faith in the news reports of seen in fox news msnbc whatever you watch than what the word of god says what comes out of your mouth more thus say if the word or thus say your favorite news, news anchor what affects your mood more your attitude more because see whatever you talk about the most frequent tells me what you're impressed by whatever you talk about the most tells me what you're impressed by. So if you're always talking about the virus and the economy and the drama and what's going on with the bad things with your kids and your spouse and the community and the nation, if that's all you talk about, that tells me what you're impressed by. But if you're consistently talking about what God has done in your life, what God is doing, what God will do, where he brought you from, what your expectation is, it tells me you're more impressed by your covenant with God. So there has too long been a wine in the people of God when there should be a battle cry. So is there a cry among the people of God today? Not a wine, but a battle cry. So we should start our day in thanksgiving to God. We see here that victory is a gift because he gives us the victory. Now, do you have to work for a gift? It's a gift. If you work for it, it's a wage or reward, right? Victory is a gift. And as I always said, it's a gift God gives you because he loves you. Now, how do you receive gifts from God? Ephesians 2 tells us we're saved by grace through the doorway or the channel of faith. So we receive gifts from God by faith. Not because we... If we have faith, he loves us more. No, he loves us. There's nothing more you can do to change how much God loves you. You can't make it less. You can't make it more. He just loves you beyond your wildest imagination. But you receive gifts from God by faith. Well, how do you get faith? comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you're in the word, listen to the word preached, listen to the word taught. Not just people talk about the word from a disbelieving point of view. You got enough of those. But those who actually talk about the word and believe it. See, you should be careful who you listen to if they're always trying to discredit the word. There's no faith coming when they're talking to you. And so when you get into the word every day, you have to be a word person. You can't, hopefully a lot of us realized last year, you can't just depend on Sunday to give you enough word for the week. You have to be in the word every day yourself. And as you're doing that, reading the word and speaking the word every day and listen to these messages, faith comes into your heart. And as faith comes into the heart, it should affect your mouth. There's no such thing as quiet faith. If your faith won't move your mouth, it won't move your mountain and it will not take down your giant. What you believe has to come out your mouth. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 13, we have the same spirit of faith. We believe and we speak. How did you get saved? Because what we're saved by, we live by. You're saved by grace through faith, right? You believed in your heart that Jesus is the son of God. You believe that he died and God raised him from the dead. And you said with your mouth that he is Lord. He is supreme in authority. So your faith in Jesus moved you to say something. And everything else we receive from him, your faith has to move you to say, you know what? I have the victory. Why? He gives it to me. So no matter what I see or what I feel or what I'm going through today, my faith is in the one who saved me. Because if I can depend on him to save me from a devil's hell and save me from myself, surely he can save me from everything I see. And that faith should move our mouth. So we receive gifts from God by faith. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. A few pages over if you have a physical Bible. A few swipes if you have a digital version. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always, always, not sometimes, not if the economy is right, not if your favorite politician's in office, not if you did everything right, always, causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savior of his knowledge by us in every place. This phrase, causes us to triumph, is also translated to grant one complete success. To grant one complete success. Thanks be to God who always grants us complete success, not partial victories, partial success. Well, I, let's see. Let's find something good about this battle. Look, look, I didn't trip this time. I lost, but I didn't trip. That's not a victory. You just did a trip, but you still got kicked. No, no, no. That's not the victory God's talking about. Where you have to look for something you want in complete and total. Victory. Unprecedented victory. He always causes you to triumph. Causes us to triumph. I was looking up when I was looking up these words. It's also a Hebraism for giving us the victory. It's another way to say he gives us the victory. So when you say he always causes us to triumph, is another way to say in the Hebrew, he gives us the victory. Now, one of the things we saw I'll go to First Timothy chapter six, verse 12. I want to set up for where I'm going today. First Timothy chapter six, verse 12. First Timothy chapter six, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. As we shared before in the first part of the verse, the emphasis is on fight. The emphasis, even though we know faith is important, it's how we receive from God. We're called Faith Christian Center. We talk a lot about faith, and we should. But the emphasis of this verse is not on faith. It's on fight. So if you're a Christian, you need to know you're going to have to Fight. fight, the good fight of faith. It is a good fight because we know the outcome. And it's a good fight because of the way we fight. Come on, some of you really like boxing in here. Who likes boxing in here? That you like to watch different fights? What if, because sometimes when people watch boxing, they even pay to watch. We'll we'll spend extra money for a good fight. How many of you like that? I'll pay the extra money if it's a good fight, right? Now, if they got up there, these boxers, you're expecting a good fight, and they just started clawing at each other and not fighting. Would you call it a good fight? What if someone actually won? Would you say it was a good fight? No, you would say, yeah, they won, but that was a horrible fight. So it's not just a good fight because of the outcome. It's a good fight because of the way we fight. Which means the way we fight important we've talked about the stance we are to take in the series we talk about the different weapons we have because the weapons of our warfare Paul says are not carnal or fleshy but they are mighty through God to the pulling down to strongholds. that we're mighty means having power to do something and one of the things our weapons has power to do is to pull down strongholds and we're talking about more of that on Wednesday night on midweek what are strongholds because you can have godly strongholds and you can have ungodly strongholds and the success of your life is determined by what strongholds you build for yourself and you occupy. And so if you build godly strongholds, you're going to have a life of victory. But if you allow ungodly strongholds to be built in your mind and you occupy those, you're going to have defeat wherever you turn, even though you're born again, say, filled with the Holy Ghost, going to heaven with a mighty burning fire. I want to talk more about that in midweek. We have to build godly strongholds if we expect to live in victory in this life. So the emphasis on this word is fight. And we said it's defined as to enter a contest, to contend in the Greco-Roman gymnastic games. It means to contend with adversaries. It means to contend, metaphorically, to contend, struggle with difficulties and dangers. It's to endeavor with strenuous with zeal, strive to obtain something. And how do we do it? By faith. I like the commentary Rick Renner provided on this. And he said using that word fight two times in such a short uh, phrase lets you know it is a complete concentration on total victory too many times we come up with excuses why we can't win and we listen to people who tell us you can't win you can't win because of your age you can't win because of your gender you can't win because of your education you can't win because of the color of your skin you can't win because of where you were born Can't win. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they tell you you can't win, but you have to make a decision. You know what? I'm not gonna listen to them, I'm going to listen to the word of God. You're gonna have to learn how to turn from the intimidation of the world and all the people who say you can't and turn to what God said. We looked at a couple weeks ago when David turned from his brothers' insults and belittlement and turned and said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause for you to win in this life? Is there not a cause for you to have victory? Is there not a cause for you to see the goodness of God in the land of the living? Is there not a cause for you to experience unprecedented victory this year? If there's a cause, then you need to turn from the intimidation tactics of the enemy in the world and turn to your covenant and begin to say what God says you can have. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As we shared the phrase, be strong, means to be infused with strength. It was a Greek word used describing Hercules, being powered by the gods. And so Paul uses this language specifically to paint a picture in the minds of the Ephesians, just like they heard the myth of Hercules and how he was empowered by the Olympian gods to do these supernatural feats. You have access to the power of the Almighty God to do supernatural feats. And when we use that same example Paul's using, and we see some of you know about him in school, some of you saw the Disney movie, Hercules could do a lot more than what the normal man could, Right? He had power far beyond the normal person, which means the power Hercules had was more than enough to handle what would face anyone in everyday life. They had power to do far beyond, right? Which means the power that God has given you access to is more than enough for you. It's more than enough for the problems that show up in your life. It's more than enough for what it shows up in your family. The power that God has given you access to can actually change things that are beyond just you. So what you have access to is far greater than what you need. So we're beyond talking about needs, we're now in want. What do you want? Not just what do you want in your life, what do you want in your community? What do you want in your city? What do you want in your nation? Because you have access to the power of the almighty, all-powerful God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, that where power there means force, strength, dominion. That word might means ability. Be strong in the Lord, and the dominion of His ability, which means the ability of the power God you have access to can cause you to conquer and overcome whatever you face. You were never born to be dominated. And too many of us have taken the lie of the enemy because of what we've experienced or what we've done or what we've run into that, man, this is just going to be with me for the rest of my life. You know, it bothered my parents, it bothered my grandparents, my great-grandparents, so it's just my lot in life. No. You were not made to be dominated. You were not born again to be dominated. You were born again to have dominion. And although it may have plagued those in your ancestry line, you need to make a decision it stops today. It's not going to bother me any longer. It is not going to bother my children. It is not going to bother my grandchildren. I'm going to have a victory, so now I'm not going to pass down a generational curse. I'm passing down a generational blessing. I make a decision today that I'm walking in victory. So even if I struggle with something, those who come after me won't struggle with it. Because of the power you have access to that gives you dominion, the power of the Almighty God, the ability of the Almighty God go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Because too many of you are looking at the problems you face. And what's going on like they're too big for you. And you've allowed your experiences to teach you. Experience is not the best teacher. The Holy Ghost is. Because sometimes your experience will teach you things that are against the word of God. And if you're only living by what you experience, you're not gonna get as far as you can. And because of your experience, and the experience of your parents, and those around you, it may have molded in you saying, yeah, I can handle this, but I can't take on that. That's too big. Let me do that. And then they put religious terms on it. You know, I'm not humble if I really think I can change that. And God wants us to be humble. That is not what humble means. Humility is yielding to the Word of God and having an accurate view of yourself. What is an accurate view of yourself? What the Word of God says. If you look at the Word of God and the Word of God says, you're not doing right, then you're not doing right. But the Word of God also tells you who you are in Christ. And so you saying that you're just some unworthy, lowly worm that's just meant to be defeated and dominated all your life is not humility. It's religious pride. Because now you have confidence in your flesh, in your mistakes, in your sin, above the confidence in the blood of Jesus and the work of the Holy Ghost. And what happens now that you have pride? It always goes before a fall. And pride always makes you available to be consumed by the enemy. So while you think you're being spiritual, you're actually being religious and you open yourself up to demonic attack. And then you'll begin to say, Well, that's just my lot to bear. That, you know, the Bible says we are to suffer. It does, but until your suffering is to get your butt kicked by Satan. Too many believers call it their cross to bear. Suffering in the Christian context is not sickness and disease and poverty and living in defeat. That is not suffering. One of the definitions of Christian suffering is walking in love with unlovable people. Forgiving people who you would otherwise want to knock out. That's enough suffering. But we see a little bit more here in First Philippians chapter 1. Because if your believing is wrong, you'll allow things to happen in your life and think that's God's will for you. Well, it's God's will for me to be defeated. It's God's will for me to suffer. Oh, this is what God, don't put on me anything more than I can bear. Why are you praying that way? Because he's not putting it on you. He's not. Jesus said, I have come that you might have and enjoy life. But there is an enemy out there. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But see, the word thief tells you, when you look at it in the Greek, he's a pickpocket. And the way the enemy operates is not outright breaking your house, steal something from you. He steals through the art of distraction. So if he can get you distracted and get you to believe that God wants you defeated, that God wants you sick, that God wants you broke, that God wants you depressed, that this is your lot in life, you'll just take it. And you think it's God putting it on you, but it's the devil. We have to make sure our believing's right. That it's based on the word of God, not religion. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Nothing. Nothing. See, when you look at the context of Philippians, Paul is in a rough spot right now. He's writing from jail. Not a nice one either. Probably one of the worst ones in the Roman Empire. But he keeps telling them to rejoice. So the epistle of joy is written from a bad situation circumstance, a time of pressure and persecution. And he's writing to those in Macedonia, where the chief city is Philippi. That's what we call the letter to the Philippians. He's writing to them because they're facing persecution and they're really concerned about Paul. And so he's writing to them So I know you've heard what's going on in my life, but what's going on in my life has turned. God turned what the enemy meant for evil, and he turned it to good. So he, although I'm stuck in this horrible prison, everybody upstairs knows why I'm here. So the gospel is spreading in the palace upstairs. Other people are getting saved. And then now because I refuse to back down, other people are going out to preach. And so Paul is having a very honest conversation with them. He says, you know, I've done a lot for Jesus. I don't know if I wanted to go, ho- go ahead and go home, be with him, or stay. I don't know. If I left, you know, be with Jesus is good. Heaven's good. That's a gain for me. But staying is good for you. And they say, you know what? I made my decision. I'll stay for you. I'll stay so your joy can be increased. I'll stay so your faith can be increased. So when you see God deliver me, you know he can do it for you. So Paul is writing from a time of persecution. What is persecution? Pressure brought on by people. And he's writing to people who are going through a time of persecution, a time of pressure. And what is he telling them? While you're in this fight, don't be terrified. Look them right in the eyes. Don't even blink. Don't be terrified of your enemy. Say, don't be terrified of your enemy. Come on, put it in the chat. Say, don't be terrified of your enemy. Why? Which is to them an evident token of perdition or destruction, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, now here to be in me. So Paul defines what suffering is. It is dealing with this persecution. It is dealing with the pressure that has come against them because people don't believe It is dealing with the pressure that's come against them because people hate Jesus and hate them. That's where the suffering is, not sickness, disease, the curse, depression, poverty. That's not what suffering is in the Christian context. It's not. And Paul says, while you're facing this, don't be terrified at all. Because to your enemies, it's a sign to them that if they keep it up, they're going to be destroyed. But it's also a sign to them of your salvation. Now, what does the word salvation mean? It means deliverance, preservation, safety. So it says you look at them in the eyes and refuse to be terrified. It lets them know you're going to be delivered, which lets me know that although the suffering happens to every believer, every believer can have the expectation of victory. Every believer can have the expectation of deliverance. So Paul even said, although I'm in a tough spot, nobody thinks I'm going to get out, I'm going to get out and I'm going to come see you. And he says, you're going to get out of this time too. God will give you the victory and deliver you. But in your mouth right now, is there a whine or a battle cry? Go to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. In your mouth right now, is there a whine or a battle cry? Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. That word for cried here means to cry or call for help. So it wasn't a crying out of desperation and woe was me. What are they doing? They're calling for help. And their cry or their call for help came up to, unto God by reason of their bondage. So why did they cry? The bondage, right? Their circumstance caused them to call out for help. Now, one of the things you'll see in chapter 2 and chapter 1 is that this situation, although they've been in Egypt a long time, it wasn't this bad. It was progressively worse. And which leads me to believe a lot of them did not call for help when it was just a little bad. They've been in a while, oh, I can deal with it. I can deal with it. Now it got to a point where I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you allowed things to grow in your life where you could have handled on day one if you actually asked God to help you? How many years or decades have you been going through this because you thought you can handle it? You thought it was your cross to bear. You thought, oh, I'll just deal with it. It's just part of life. Whose life? I thought you were born again. I thought you had the life of God on the inside of you. I thought you were supposed to resist the enemy. But if our believing's wrong, we will resist the blessing of God and take the curse, and then we're a good Christian. Look, I'm cursed, I'm defeated. Am I pleasing Jesus? What? Whoa, 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 whoa. That is not a billboard for salvation. Come on, get saved and ruin your life. Eventually, you'll get to heaven. It'll be good there, I think, I hope, possibly. I don't know, wings, cloud, something. Sweet by and by. Well, what's sweet by and by? Like, I'm not sure. I think we get a harp and wings. Whoa, we have to make sure our believing is right. You know, I'm going to do a series later this year on heaven and what that is actually like. It's actually a place. People are living there. They have a life there. They don't just go around and sit on harps, sit playing a harps and have grapes tossed in their They have a life. Heaven's huge. The capital city of heaven is larger than North America. The city. So we'll talk about that and how that actually impacts your everyday life because you're supposed to manifest heaven on earth, but that's an upcoming series. And so when we look at this, suddenly they decide to call for help. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now, I want to set this up for you Bible scholars. Although we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers in Deuteronomy, the law, they're not under the dispensation of the law. They're not. The law won't be given for another few years or so. They're under the dispensation of promise. What are they supposed to operate by? By promise. God made a promise, a covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob they're supposed to be operating by what they believe according to that promise. And when they called for help, because they had a covenant of promise, a deliverer was raised up. It wasn't because they were doing right. Because you have know, to when the law came forth just a few years later, it was tough for a lot of them, which lets you know most of them weren't doing right. You know, some of the things you put in there, like, so why would you even have to say that? How many of you have ever written rules for an organization? You have to put rules there because somebody might do it or somebody's done it. I used to joke with ministry school students when I taught a ministry school in Texas, I said, look, if I have to expand this rule book because of you, I will name the rule after you. It's so said, give honor to where honor is due. This is the so-and-so rule. Don't you ever do this. And so they weren't living right. They're not an example of the lifestyle they should live, but why did God deliver them? They called for help, and God had made a promise to Abraham. You see, we're in a new covenant. We're not in the time of the law. The time of the law is over. When he studied out, Paul says the law ain't for you. It's for some people in the world. It ain't for you. You don't want the law. Don't try to live by the law. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You'll be confused and frustrated. This is the age of grace. You live by what the Holy Ghost says. You live by what it tells you in the New Testament. These letters tell you how you're supposed to live. The law will show you the wisdom of God and show you the good things that were even available then, but you have a better covenant based on better promises, which means you have all the good things of the old covenant, plus all the good of the new. And it operates by faith. The law is showing you you can't earn your righteousness because the righteousness, no one could be justified by the law. They couldn't. The Ten Commandments alone took out everybody. Not to mention the other 600 ordinances. They couldn't. It was showing people you can't be perfect by yourself. It showed the people that there needed to be a substitute for their sins. Because in the Old Testament, they had offer sacrifice every time they messed up. Blood had to be shed what is this a foreshadowing of what jesus will come to do and the righteousness which is of god through christ jesus is by faith it's not obtained because you did what was right it's obtained because you believed right you believed in what jesus did and you were made the righteous of god in christ jesus nothing can change your righteousness even if you sin after you're saved. it doesn't change your standing because righteousness is your standing with god And because you have standing, when you sin, you can do 1 John 1, 9. You can come to God and confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just because you sin does not make you unrighteous. Just because of sin doesn't mean you don't have access to God. Don't run from God when he blows. Run straight to him. You running from him is not going to hide what you did. He knows what you did. He is the almighty, all-knowing God. He knows what you did. So you're not informing him of anything. What do you do when you go to him? You're getting it all cleared up. And he'll help you fix whatever you just messed up. They called for help and got answered because they had a covenant. You have a better covenant. How much quicker will your help manifest? So we look at Exodus chapter 3. Story of Moses going to the burning bush. The bush is not... Consumed, but it's on fire. And God speaks to him from the burning bush. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know, I think I talked about it a few weeks ago, but Jacob had his name changed to Israel. You know, we like to think of, you know, who he was after he became Israel, the man who wrestled with God, the man who prevailed, the man who held on to the promise and the good things he did before. But when you look at some of Jacob's history, it's a lesson of what not to do. And you might think, well, just call yourself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. But even God called himself the God of Jacob, which he does throughout the Bible, lets you know that he's still with you even when you act a hot mess, that he's with you. The book of Hebrews says, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. So even when you did everything you knew you weren't supposed to do, he did not turn his back on you. He not said you've messed up too much. I'm done with you. Three strikes, you're out. That might be the court system and the MOB, but it's not with Jesus. See, thank God he's the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, the slim chance, the big chance, no chance at all. And when you come to him and ask for forgiveness, he wipes away your sin. It doesn't exist anymore. So even if you did the same thing again, say, oh, God, I messed up again. You know, I've been doing that. I did it a thousand times. you so say, well, what are you talking about? He says, I'll cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and the sea of forgetfulness. God is not keeping a record of your sin. Now, that doesn't give you an excuse to keep on sinning. No, we're called to holiness. He says, be holy as I'm holy. But as you're working out your salvation and you're working on the process and letting the word renew your mind and you're yielding to the spirit of God, as you're making these changes... You don't have to live in condemnation because you made all these mistakes. He forgives you. But if you listen to religion, it'll make you live defeated. But if you listen to the word of God, you'll be free. See, too many Christians are like the parable Jesus told of the man who was forgiven $20 million of debt. He couldn't pay. He says, king, give me more time. And he says, the king was moved with a compassion. And he forgave him of the debt. He said, go, enjoy your life. I've canceled your debt. But what was the first thing that man did? He ran to the man who owed him 20 bucks, grabbed him by the neck, shook him, and said, pay me what you owe me. And the man said, give me more time, and I'll pay you all. And instead of mirroring the attitude of the king, he said, no, throw him in jail till he can pay me. What you owe me. We know how the parable ends. The king says, I forgave you this big debt, but you couldn't forgive a small debt? To me, a lot of people say, see that man who gets forgiven a lot, he was a bad person. I don't believe he was a bad person. I just believe he didn't believe he was forgiven. Because if you don't believe you're forgiven, and you still believe you owe $20 million, why the first thing you would do is try to go get some money. Not go tell your family and celebrate and enjoy You really didn't believe you're forgiven, so you ran to pay a debt. Too many Christians do not really believe they're forgiven. They can say it, oh, yes, Jesus forgave me of my sins, but they still think they have to pay a debt. And so now they're trying to live holy, trying to pay a debt. They're trying to be righteous. It's hard to be something you already are. And you're thinking that you're living like, oh, I owe God everything. No, you don't. What do you mean, preacher? Salvation is a gift. If I receive the gift now I owe him, it's not a gift anymore. You don't owe him. Well, why do we serve him as Christians? Because we love him. It just makes sense. The one who died for me, I should live for him. My commitment is based off of love, not debt. My commitment is based off of me loving him and him being faithful to me, not because of my debt and my sin and my iniquity. Because if you focus on trying to live right because you think you owe God something, it's gonna affect the way you treat others. You can look at others, uh, you haven't worked through that yet, what's taking you so long? And you become holier than thou. And try to make them pay a debt that you can even pay. It's faith in what Jesus has done for us, not in what we've done for ourselves. It's faith in his finished work and living in holiness because the spirit of holiness, the spirit of grace lives within us and leads us and guides us. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their test masters, and for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and to the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry or the call for help of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you unto Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We know Moses is raised up to deliver people because they called for help and they had a covenant. 32nd rapture. could somebody else's deliverance be held back because you haven't responded to what Holy Ghost told you to do? Is there a group of people calling for help who need the deliverance of God, who would receive it if you actually do what the Holy Ghost told you to do? Is someone else's deliverance held up because you're scared? or you're intimidated by your enemy, or you think, I don't, have it. I don't have it all together yet. I'm not good enough to follow God. I'm not good enough to serve him, so I'm just going to stay back. See, God delivered them because a man finally told him yes, and he worked through that person. He said, I've come down to deliver them, to take them up, and how was he going to do that? Through a man that told him yes. And so we have Vision Sunday coming to next week. We tell God yes. Why? Because there's somebody. I remember Rick Renner told me this years ago. There's somebody on the other side of your obedience. It's not just about you and your four being blessed. That's good. But there's somebody on the other side of your obedience. And so we see what brought help and deliverance and great victory to the people of God was because they called out for help. And God fought with Pharaoh and won so don't think what you're facing is too hard because by this point, they've been in slavery for 100 years. They're oppressed. They're beaten down. They're weighed down. They're held down in a situation that looks impossible that they watch their parents' generation die in and they think they may die in. See, some of you are thinking that your situation circumstances so bad because you've seen so many other people not make it. Some other, so many other people succumb to it. You've seen what happened to your parents and your grandparents and experience is telling you you're going to be the same way. That you feel a slave to your circumstance, a slave to your addiction, a slave to your problem. But if God could deliver them from Egypt under an old, inferior dispensation, what can he do for you now? that you have the blood of Jesus, the Holy Ghost on the inside, the Holy Ghost upon you, the word of God, the revelation of the word of God. If he could deliver them from Egypt with an outstretched arm, what he called a mighty hand, know that he can do it in your life. But you need to put your faith in his ability, not your ability. You need to put your faith in his promise, not in your capability. It's faith in him and who he is, and his track record which should cause you today to stop whining and call for help some of you are distressed by what you're going through with your children, that's say, like, I've done all that I can do, call for help so I don't know what I'm going to do with my family call for help, I'm not going to do what I'm going to do my finances, call for help, I don't know what to do with my health my body, call for help he is a very present help in the what? Time of trouble. You find yourself in a time of trouble, call for help. Even Peter knew that when he was sinking. Help me, Lord. And what happened? Jesus was right there and lifted him up. He said, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? Come on, Peter, you should have known better than this, but I got you, let's go. And after this, Peter still walked in the water. We forget he sank, but he walked twice. Two times more than most of us. Anybody else walk on water like Peter? No, 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 yeah. We can talk about Peter sinking, but at least he did it. And some of you are so afraid of sinking, you stay in the boat. But if Peter was caught, you know, you have a safety net. That even if your eyes get off and you begin to sink, Jesus will be right there to lift you back up. We need to put our faith in him. And our ability to say, Pastor, I'm sure that if I got out of the boat, I'd probably trip then sink. Well, thank God you got a Savior who saves you from something every single day. Thank God that you got a deliverer who, who can deliver you from your own mistakes. It's our faith in him, not in what we can do. Now, we are to do our part. We do have a responsibility to grace. We are to do what the word of God tells us to do. But our confidence can't be in our abilities and our performance. Our confidence has to be in our covenant and what thus saves the word of God and the character of our. Go with me to Joshua chapter six. Is there a wine in the people of God or is there a battle cry? Joshua chapter six. Joshua is entered into the promised land. The first major city, the walled city they face is Jericho. The walls were so big that two chariots could race around it side by side. These are thick walls. Those are the outer walls, and then there are inner walls on top of that. And so seemingly there's no way for an army to get in. And God says, here's your battle plan. Sometimes the battle plans don't make sense to the natural mind. Sometimes God will tell you to do stuff that people say, you're stupid. Why would you do that? That is not going to change anything. God tells them to walk walk around the wall 13 times, one time a day for the first six days and seven times the last day. And he says, don't say nothing. It's a big miracle for the people of God to be quiet. And that's, you know, a big miracle. Walking around the wall. But he told them, when you do, this is what's gonna happen. He says, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see I have given into your hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. So here's his army coming out of the wilderness to take on the most secure city of the area, and they're afraid of the children of Israel. You might think, oh no, they can take them out, but they're so afraid nobody is leaving the city and nobody can come in. Does the enemy know more about who you are than you do? They realize it, so God is pointing out, see, look, I have given you this city. Given, it's a gift. All of you, compass the city, all you men of war, and go round about the city once. This is what you should do for six days. And the seventh priest shall bear before you the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they shall make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall send up every man straight before him. And it came to pass, verse 16. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Victory is a gift. And he told them to shout. The word shout means to shout in triumph, to shout in joy, to release a war cry. So verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, And the people shouted with a great shout. But the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before them, and they took the city. See, some of you know how to shout in the house of God. I'm glad you do. But can you shout in your own house? Can you praise God in your own house? And see, then it's not always about volume. Some people equate volume to power. And that's not always true. The power in the shout is your faith. And there's times I have to praise God. Not doing it very quietly because I got babies asleep. I don't want to wake them up right now. Got about an hour more of quiet. So if I start shouting, everybody's going to wake up and my quiet's over. So it might be a quiet dance. It may be a whisper shout. But the power is not in my volume, the power is in my faith in God. So you can be a quiet person, have a quiet personality. You rarely loud. If you get loud, people think something wrong happened. I'm not saying you you have to be loud because your faith is not in the volume. Your faith is in God. And you have to be willing to release a praise every day. To release a battle cry every day. To thank God that you have the victory every single day. Believing that just like Jericho fell down flat, whatever is in front of you will fall down flat as well. Whatever is impossible, whatever they told you, there's no way you can do it. Whatever they say, there's no way you can win. But Because, you know, God has given you the victory. You praise him and release a battle cry. And what was the impossible falls down flat. As we said, if your faith does not move your mouth, it will not move your mountain or take down your giant. Faith needs to motivate you to praise. And not because you feel it. Not because they sang your favorite song. Not because you just felt good this day. Because you know the word of God. To where your faith is not moved by your feeling, but it's moved by your belief in the word of God. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Is there a whine in the people of God or is there a war cry? Are there people who whine because Jericho's too big and the walls are too thick? Or are there people who have confidence in their God? See, this victory was available to the previous generation. But they came to a stop 10 different times because of their whining and their complaining. And then when the spies met Rahab, they said, oh, we heard about y'all 40 years ago. We knew that God had given you this land. That's when Rahab became a believer. She heard the word. What was the word preached at the time? The land believes and belongs to Israel. She believed it. And that's why she was delivered and became an ancestress of Jesus himself. She believed the word, and faith preserved her and her house and everybody in her house. And it wasn't because the lifestyle she had chose at the moment was a good one. It was her faith in God. I know God has given you the city. I know God has given you the land. She heard the word and believed it. If Rahab, as a Canaanite woman, who did not experience all God did in Egypt, did not really know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, doesn't know, if we don't know what she actually knows, but heard what God did for his people in Egypt and heard that God had given them the land. And if she had enough wherewithal within her soul and her heart to believe that God could do it, shouldn't we? Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm gonna bring this to a close. And it came to pass after this also, verse 1, that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, there comes a great multitude against you from beyond the sea. And Jehoshaphat feared. Why? There's three armies coming together. One army is bad enough, but three? And you minding your own business. You at home. You're in a good time. It's a time of prosperity for Jehoshaphat. The whole Judah is doing well, exceedingly well. And all of a sudden, a problem comes. The enemy has picked a fight. It's a big fight. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, Jehoshaphat knew enough to ask God for help because you see a couple chapters before, you know, he's in a situation he shouldn't be in. He went to go visit Ahab. And Ahab's not the person you want to be hanging out with. He ain't living right. And so he's up there, and because he has so many people come with him, they have this big feast for him, and Ahab is trying to persuade him to get involved in a battle that has nothing to do with Jehoshaphat. But because Jehoshaphat is winning, he said, well, just join me. You know, you have to be cautious because when you start winning and have victory, people try to get you to get involved in stuff you have no business being in. And so Jehoshaphat gets involved, and long story short, they go to battle. And because Ahab heard through a prophet that he was going to die in battle, he says, you know what, I'm going to disguise myself like a lowly soldier so no one will aim at me. Which means Jehoshaphat is the only king on the battlefield who looks like a king. And so all the armies see Jehoshaphat and say, it's the king of Israel. Go get him. And so now Jehoshaphat is surrounded. And if you're surrounded by an army, and it's just you, You can't take them all down. But Jehoshaphat knew one thing to do. He called for help, it says. He cried unto the Lord and said, the Lord answered and helped him. All of a sudden, everybody surrounding him realized, this ain't the king of Israel. And they turned. In war, you don't turn from people. You take them out to do and go to the next. They looked at him and said, nah, we don't want you, and left. So Jehoshaphat knows the power of asking God for help. So he gathers the whole city, the country together. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And will not that, rule not thou over all the kingdoms and of the heathen? And in your hand is not power and might, so that there none is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people, Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham, your friend, forever? What is he doing? He is recounting the track record with God. He is reminding everybody who God is. He's reminding everybody he has power in his hand. And he reminds God of his covenant. Abraham, your friend. Yes, relationship, but also your covenant friend. What are they saying? We got a covenant. Aren't you the one who rules over all nations? Don't you have power in your hands? Notice how he goes forward. Didn't you drive out our enemies centuries ago? And they dwelt therein, and you said, having built a sanctuary therein for your name, saying, if when evil comes upon us as a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, when we stand before this house and in your presence, for your name is in this house, and cry unto you in our affliction, you will hear and help. You say it in your word, that if I call for help, you will help me. So now I'm doing exactly what your word says, help. And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. You told us not to. Behold, look how they reward us to come cast us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we know what to do. Sometimes, honestly, God, I, I, I don't know what to do. What is this next? But our eyes are upon you. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon the man of God comes the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he says, listen, hearken ye all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, here's where they are. God's giving them the battle intelligence. Here's where they're located right now. You're not going to have to fight in the battle. I got this. But you still have to go to the battlefield. As we've said throughout this series, victory is a gift. But the majority of time, God gives you the victory on the battlefields of life. You still have to show up on the battlefield. You still have to fight the good fight of faith. But as you show up and you fight, God gives you the victory. You will not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself standing still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground, and all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe in his prophets, so shall you prosper. Remind them, believe what the word of God says. And then, you know, it's something interesting. They talk among themselves and says, you know what? Here's what we should do. Put the praise team in front of the army. Okay, put Minister Dathan up there. All right, put Sister Camille over there. Put Sister Candace over there. Put Sister Mia over there. Put Sister Yvonne over there. Put Brother Mike over there. Put them in front. And let's go to war. That was the battle strategy. God didn't tell them to do it. The people said, you know what? We have so much confidence in God. Let's go in. You know, some of you come from church traditions where people marched in. Marched down the aisle of the choir, marched in. So imagine that, them marching in. Saying, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Marching in, singing. The army and the king following them they said praise the Lord or hallelujah for his mercy endures forever hallelujah this is a praise in Hebrew that was important to the people of God throughout the history they said it at Solomon's temple and the glory filled the house. And so now they're saying it again. his mercy endures forever. That word for mercy is talking about his covenant love. Where when he studied it out, it means that God is determined to bless you. That God wants to bless you more than you wanna be blessed. And as they're singing about the mercy of God, they're singing about his goodness, the are praising him and the beauty of holiness, it says, as they began to sing. The Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, every one helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtown of the wilderness, and they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to earth, and none escaped. Before they ever got to the battlefield, they're marching to the battle, singing, praising, praise the Lord, hallelujah. His mercy endures forever. By the time they got to the battlefield, it was already over. Everything that was coming to take them out, as Minister David exhorted you earlier, it's come to take you out, not to make you strong. But everything that came to take them out was dealt with. But notice what it says next. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance, they knew there was a spoil. We didn't realize there was abundance, both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away, and they were three days and gathering of the spoil. It was so much. Think about it this way, whatever your favorite store is, and they said, well, whatever you can carry away is yours. Some of you said, I could empty that store in a day, a day. I might not be able to fit it, but I can sell it. I can give it. I got this. But think about how much stuff if it took you three days or took an entire nation three days. Any of the first people who got the spoils? The praisers, the singers, those who praise God, the people who led you in praise, they got the spoils first. They're the ones who saw, ooh, that's a nice diamond. Hallelujah. Took them three days three days do you know what that is a wealth transfer something they did not expect they were just believing for victory they're believing that they're going to win this battle but they didn't expect such a large wealth transfer that took a whole nation three days to gather it all see one of the things the man of god told us on new year's eve this is going to be a year of wealth transfer See, the victory you're going to experience is not just you winning and finally overcoming what you're facing. It's coming with a wealth transfer because when the enemy decides to mess with you, God said, I'm going to make him pay. I'll make him pay double. I'll make him pay up seven times. I'll make him pay up the substance of his house. So there may be some things you've lost in the battles of life. There may be some things that have come against you and you're just trying to win, but you don't realize on the other side of your victory is a wealth transfer. This is a year of winning and victory, so you need to be expecting wealth transfer Suddenly, financial blessings, suddenly things just hit in your life. This is what's ahead of you. But there's time out for there being a wine in the people of God. There has to be a battle cry. There has to be people who praise the Lord. There have to be people who sing of his mercy. There have to be people who give him glory. There have to be people who trust that God is able, that God is not just willing, he is able and he will do it. Because you dare to say, Help me. Because you dare to believe that you have a covenant. You dare to believe in the character of God. So you start every day saying, Father, I thank you for the victory. Father, I thank you you caused me to triumph Father I thank you that this is a day of victory I don't care what it looks like I don't care how I feel I don't care what I'm going through you are the God who always causes me to triumph so I'm going to win today I'm going to experience victory today I'm going to have wealth transfer today I don't care what the news says I don't care what the politician says I don't care what the media says I don't care what social media says you are my God not them so today I choose to win that is yours not because you did what was right but because Jesus did what was right and you put your faith in him so we need to cut out the whining and start praising we need to cut out the whining and start releasing the battle cry we need to stop talking about all the bad things that happened last year and talk about how we still here Instead of talking about all the bad things that happened, you made it. He preserved you. He restored you. He kept you. And he said what's before you is victory. Stop being impressed by the trauma and the trauma of last year. And be impressed with your covenant. Be impressed with your God. Be impressed with his power. Be impressed with his glory. Be impressed with his ability. Be impressed with his word. It's time to praise. It's time to testify and tell others what God has done for us and stop being ashamed that we prospered in a pandemic and stop being ashamed that God kept us in a time when the world was going mad and say, hey, God did this for me. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. See, testimony, when he began to tell others, it builds faith in them that if God did it for you, he can did it for me. He can do it for me. It's time to praise. It's time to testify. Every day, not just in the house of faith, in the house of God. It's good to be able to do it here, but you got to do it in your house. You have to do it in your everyday life. What is your social media filled with? Is it filled with whining? Or is it filled with rejoicing? Is it filled with praise? Is it filled with giving God glory? Is it filled with shouting with a voice of triumph? What is your mouth filled with? It's time out for the whining. It's time out for the complaining. It's time for the mighty ones to rise up. It's time for us to be overcomers. It's time for us to put our confidence in the word of God. So stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's time to release the battle cry. It's time to release the war cry. That I'm not sure what you're facing because it doesn't matter. You shout in the face of it. You praise God in the face of it. You rejoice in the face of it. Because you know he's going to give you the victory. It's time to magnify God, not our drama. Matter God, not our enemy. For our God, he is good, and his mercy endures forever. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.